I kept getting notes every week, probably written by Gene Simmons. They were handwritten, and they included backstage passes to see KISS, whoever KISS was. So I decided to go see this group, KISS. Well, this was different, all right. I said, you know, why don't you give me a chance, at least give me 30 days, and then we can decide whether we're going to stay together or not. Well, eventually Neil said they would sign him. I told the guys, and within 30 days, we had a record deal. All right, KISS Army. You wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hello, welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller. With me as always, James Hager, Ken Mills. And we're here to commemorate the passing of someone who is of vital importance to history, and that, of course, is Bill O'Coin. Right off the top of my head, I would imagine that there would be no kiss had there not been a Bill O'Coin. They might have had the, the dream and the desire and the vision, but Bill O'Coin basically was the great facilitator. Uh, he, he and Sean Delaney, along with Neil Bogart, made all this possible. Uh, otherwise, it would have just been four guys in a loft. What I've always gotten from what I've heard about Bill O'Coin is that without Bill O'Coin, you know, the band that we know would have never happened. Um, as Ken said, you know, maybe the dream would have been there and they would have done something. But it was Bill O'Coin who went to a dilapidated hotel in New York City and saw four guys that were hungry and had a dream. And I think it needs to be stressed that without him, we would not have what we love today. You say you feel so empty that our house just ain't a home I'm always somewhere else and you're always there Tonight we are honored to be joined by Lydia Chris, who is here to speak a little bit about um, her friend Bill O'Coin. Lydia, take it away. I uh, want to talk about Bill. He was a, a very good friend of mine, especially in the late, later part of our relationship. I've known Bill for 37 years, and probably the last 10 years of his life, we were the closest. I mean, he would stay by me when he'd come to Manhattan because he lived in Florida. And uh, he was actually here the day I was the last person to see him. He left here, took a plane home, and went straight to the hospital and um, had surgery, never recovered, and and was in on life support for two weeks. So um, I was, you know, at peace with myself because I, I told him I loved him. We hugged and we kissed, and I knew he had cancer, but I didn't know he was going to go so soon. And uh, he also thanked me for letting him stay here, and I said, Bill, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this place. I love him, and I will miss him, and it's going to take a long time for my heart to be healed. But the memories will heal it, and they were great memories. Could you tell us about the first time you met Bill O'Coin? I met Bill O'Coin. Um, I'm sure he was at the dip. I mean, I know he was at the diplomat when he saw Kiss. I did not meet him that night. I was taking pictures. I was running around. I was, you know, had friends there, and I didn't meet him that night. I think I met him uh, about a month later. What happened was he had called Gene. And, well, Gene had constantly, you know, um, he was sending him invitations all the time. Mm -hmm. And Bill finally showed up. And it was August 10th? Yeah, August 10th, 1973. Bill called Gene, spoke with Gene, and 
said he was interested in the band. And uh, he said, if I don't get you a deal in 30 days, then you, we could either discuss it or you could walk away. Gene said, okay, let me call my guys. And he called Peter and told Peter the story. Because I remember we were at home in Brooklyn when, you know, Gene told us that there was somebody interested in the band. And we were ecstatic because, you know, the band had been together maybe one year. That's it. They had mm -hmm. really only formed. They, they had only performed since January of that year. Yeah. So that was only about eight months. And then everything after that was, you know, it was just uh, uphill. It, it, you know, at times it was a little shaky. And, but then, you know, then eventually, you know, they really, really made it. But, you know, they, they had to bring Casablanca to, to see Kiss. And, uh, well, it wasn't Casablanca at the time. It was Neil Boga that worked for Buddha Records. Yes. And... Uh, he was forming a new record company, and uh, Bill brought him down. I think I had met Bill before that, yeah. And Bill brought Neil down, and they did a showcase in this little dance studio called Latang. I think you know between Bill, Neil, and Sean Delaney, they all decided that they would go for it. And that was back in 1973. Lydia, would it be safe to say that there would be no Kiss as we know it without Bill O'Coin? But, well, that's what I told Bill, you know, when he thanked me, you know, he stayed here right before he passed away, and he thanked me for letting him stay here, and I said, Bill, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this place. So, absolutely, um, I definitely believe in that, and I believe that someone has to have faith in you, and that they believe in what you're doing, and and Bill LaCoyne was the guy that, you know, even Neil Bogart from Casablanca didn't want to, um, he said, ah, I think they should take the makeup off. And Bill said, nope, that's all part of the whole thing. It's all part of the, the you know, the, the, the scheme of, of, the, of, the, of the, you know, the plan for, you know, for their, for their whole, you know, persona. And, um, you know, then they just, they just amplified it all. You know, because Kiss was very primitive in the in the early days. You know, their makeup was it would run off their face you know, before they get on stage. But you know, they get them. They got them some really good makeup. They got you know, they got them good costumes. And you know, they couldn't afford costumes. You know, I would make Peel a T-shirt. You know, that said Kiss across it, and his mother would make him something. Or mm -hmm. Ace's mother would make him something. And you know, it was it was, um, it was all primitive stuff until a coin came along. And Sean Delaney was very important. He was a very important factor in in their in their in creating their their look and their movements on stage. Both of those gentlemen, uh, their impact cannot be uh, stated enough. Let's be honest. Same, same same with Neil Bogart, and sadly, all three of them have uh, left us. You uh, recently went to the Bill O'Coin Memorial Tribute Service. Can you tell us a little bit about that and who showed up and what you took from that? We flew down. On a Thursday and came back on Friday. It was like a one one day thing. Uh, it was at a restaurant in uh, Fort Lauderdale or Hollywood, Florida. Something we flew into the Fort Lauderdale airport. And I think it was Hollywood, Florida, and it was Bill's favorite restaurant when he was down there. But that's where he lived. He lived on the Intercoastal. It was called La Tub, and it was it was really funny. It's a beautiful restaurant. It's really really cool with all like. Like you kind of feel like you're in the islands when you're in, in this restaurant, but there's no air conditioning. <laughs> it, you know, they, they rely on the breeze from the intercoastal, and because it was July, 
not there's no breeze and we were all sweating like pigs i'm telling you it was so funny let's see peter was there ace is there peter's wife uh Gigi, uh ace's girlfriend rachel and john hart was there he was he used to be security for kiss he was head of security mm-hmm. and two of the guys from stars were there um richie rano and doobie the drummer and then that's one of Bill Coins other bands and yes. Piper, Richie, my boyfriend Richie Fontana represented. I go out with the extrema of Piper. And of and, course, Piper, um, Piper had uh, Billy Squire. Billy Squire, yeah, Billy Squire. Billy Squire sent a song down. Uh, he couldn't be there, but he will be at the New York Memorial. There's going to be one in New York next month. And um, uh, he sent a song down that you know has not even been released yet. It was really, really good. And they played that. And we also had. Um, one of the lawyers, two of the, one of the lawyers, one of the accountants. I mean, there was a bunch of, you know, like people. Oh, yeah, that Carol Ross from the press office uh, that worked with a coin for years, and she did kind of like the MC. And then there was a lot of Bill's family. You know, there was about 150 people, so it was it was pretty packed. Pretty packed, and um, you know, I mean, Peter was very friendly to me. You know, I haven't talked to Peter in 15 years. <laughs> His wife was very friendly. Ace was, you know, Ace was Ace. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, he's still, I mean, he's a great guy. I love him to death. And he just, I mean, I've been going out with my boyfriend eight years now. <laughs> and Ace mm-hmm. goes, are you Lydia an item? And he goes, yes, yeah, for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, Rachel like? We we know a little bit about Gigi. And she... No, I didn't really. I, spoke, I, I walked up to her and I introduced myself. She was sitting with Ace. She's very quiet. You know, I didn't get to talk to her a lot. But we're gonna we're gonna meet. You know, Ace said. You know, the next day he. You know, we were in the lobby, and Ace goes, "So did you like Rachel?" And I said, "Yes, I. You know, I really like her. She's very pretty. You know, very cute. I just didn't get to talk to her. Like, he said, we're gonna come over when we're in New York. So he's gonna call me. Because I reprimanded him for not talking to me. You know, because he's you know he's going through his alcohol addiction thing, the AA, and uh, he's kind of been keeping away from a lot of his old friends because I think that's part of uh, the recovery program. Yes, he uh, he. I, you know, I, I reprimanded him for not talking, for not calling me. I said, "What kind of a friend <laughs> are you?" You know, and he says that he blamed it on the, you know the fact that he, he kind of had a little bit of a breakdown when his mother passed away, which I could totally understand. Totally but, understandable. You know, yeah. the one thing about uh, Bill's passing is it's it's a reminder to everybody who's a fan yes. of Kiss and and everybody out there. Period. That none of us know how short a life can be. Well, that's what Ace said to me. Ace says, you know, we're all getting older. He says, let's let's stop, you know, the nonsense and let's all get together again. You know, like, let's, you know, he wants to, you know, forget, you know, I mean, not, there was nothing ever between me and Ace. But it's like, you know, he just feels we should all be friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's fine. Everything was great. You know, I mean, my boyfriend, I even took a picture of me. <laughs> my boyfriend and, and Peter, one on one side and one on the other. <laughs> the only thing is my boyfriend had his eyes closed. And it's like, I'm going, ah. Don't you hate yeah. that? Especially you as a photographer. You really got to hate that. No, I wasn't. I wasn't the photographer. I was in the middle. I, was, I had my <laughs> I had my hands on both guys' faces. <laughs> Peter was a sweetheart. You know, he was all, he's always that way. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, I haven't seen him, like I said, I haven't seen him in 15 years. But he was really sweet. We talked about his cancer, 
his family, you know, because I'm in touch with his family more than he is. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, you, know you, you get to the point, a point in life where you just have to say enough's enough and you, you have to be nice. And Bill, Bill would have wanted it that way. You know, I mean, that was, Bill had, Bill got a lot of people together. I mean, I sh I'm sure I'm going to see people I haven't seen. I, I just thought that people I haven't seen in 30 years, I'm going to see another bunch of people when they have the one in New York. And like I said earlier, it's such a reminder, you know, um, I want to tell you something on a personal note. I grew up in, uh, in a small town in Ohio. And I remember seeing you like on the People's Choice Awards, and I always heard the legend of Beth and all that and everything. And you know, I think about Pete and Ace and Bill and Gene and Paul and everybody. And you guys, you guys meant something to me then, and you and you still do. Oh, we, were, we were like, I mean, they were like my brothers. I you know, Peter, you know, but they were all like, you know, all the guys were like my brothers. They were, they were great. Right, but were... I, I just want to say something from a fan. And and I know I'm not speaking to Bill, but I'm kind of saying this from 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 all of all the Kiss fans out there. I want to thank you guys for everything. I'm thanking you, Lydia. I'm thanking Pete. I'm thanking Ace, Gene, Paul, Sean, Bill, Neil, everybody. I may have never got a chance to tell you all, but I just want to thank you as some guy from Ohio who uh, would read Aww. the magazines and, and listen to the music and see you guys on TV. I just want to thank you for all the memories, the magic, and the music, and for all the good and bad that's happened. It's good to see that you guys are still with us, you know, seriously. Oh, I know. I, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I, I got, I, I had to do a speech when, you know, when I was in, you know, for Bill's thing. Mm -hmm. And there was one, one fan from, that I don't even know. He's from Australia. He wrote something, and I just said, I had to read it. I wrote, like, you know, four different things from different people, and one of them is, Bill is the man who made it possible for me to remain a six-year-old kid for the rest of my life, and I thought that was so great. Wow, what a great statement. <laughs> and, and somebody else wrote, Bill's impact on the world of music is forever. Absolutely true. I mean, isn't that great? True. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, um... I don't want to take up a lot of your time. It's a nice Friday evening here, and you and uh, Richie are probably going to do something much more no, fun I, than talk Richie, to me. Richie doesn't come until tomorrow night. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's, in, he's in right now. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Well, tell him I said hi, and uh, even though he doesn't know me, uh, I did enjoy uh, his work with Piper. And like I said, it's, it's just good. He's also on Paul Stanley's album. He did four songs on Paul Stanley's album. You know what? On Paul's solo album, he, he drummed four songs, yeah. We're going to do a show with, with you. I think we should have Richie be part of that. What do you think? Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and and he can talk about his little bit of history. You can talk about your bit of hit history. And we'll uh, promote your book and get that out there. That'll be very okay. fun. And uh, we want to we want to thank you. And there's 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 one last thing we want to do. But I just want to thank you f uh, on behalf of everybody listening. Thank you uh, for being part of this. This is a special thing for us. Uh, it's 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 probably the closest we can do to get to a memorial service. This is like um, fans all over the world are going to hear this. And and I know that I'm speaking for them right now when I say thank you to Bill O'Coin. Thank you, Liddy. Oh. Thank you all. Bill O'Coin is one of the, the nicest guys I have ever met in my life. You know, and I, I will love him forever. And I know all the guys in the band feel the same way. I know. Uh, the last thing we're going to do is talk uh, about a, we, a song we've been asking some people. When you think of Bill O'Coin, was there like one song that maybe uh, you, you, you like associate with him or something? And I think you wanted to talk about Beth. 
Well, the thing is, I really don't have a song that I associate with Bill. You know, Bill and I used to stand, I mean, I mean, I have so many memories, great memories of standing on the stage of Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. as the tears are, you know, running down my face, never realizing we'd ever be up there. And, um, I mean, there's I mean, so many songs that remind me, of, you know, of Bill. And, but, the, you know, I mean, basically, I think, um, the fans like to know the story about Bass, but I just recently, you know, asked Bill, and he's, you know, he verified the whole thing. You know, Peter wrote the song with Sam Penridge many years before Kiss, mm-hmm. and um, he presented it to Kiss, but it was really written for a girl named Beck, Rebecca, mm-hmm. and her name was, you know, they called, we called her Becky, and so the song was called Beck, so it was Beck I hear you calling, and, you know, when he presented it to Kiss, Gene and Paul said, no, we can't do that because of Jeff Beck, you know, it's like it just sounds too, too, you know, too close. So it would kind of like be doing a song about Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul McCartney, I hear you calling. You know, it doesn't work. So you right, can't do right. a song about Jeff Beck or, you know, anyway, sorry, yeah. go on. So, so the, uh, the, they were sitting, I remember sitting in a limo and I remember saying, why don't you call it Beck? Because, Beth rather, because Neil Bogart's wife was, all right, Becky was a twin and Neil Bogart's wife, Beth was a twin. Mm-hmm. So I thought that would, you know, Beth is kind of, you know, close. And, um, and Gene just looked and said, okay, but he'll never give me credit for that. <laughs> I will never get the credit for that, but I I named the song, and then I also wrote one lyric in the song, not 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 intentionally, but at that point, I mean, when they decided to do when they were doing Destroyer, we were moving from Brooklyn to Manhattan, and I was working. I had worked for let's see, by '75, I, I started working when I was 16 years old. So I was working for a lot of years and supporting Peter. I, I think, yeah, I was already out of my first job and into my second job by then. And I, that's when, I think right after my, my, one of my birthdays, the, the Alive went gold. That's when I stopped working. And I felt, you know, he, Peter wanted me to stop working, and I didn't. But, you know, he wanted me to be able to go on the road when he needed me to go on the road. I felt... You know, after paying the bills for so many years, I felt so empty. I felt that my house was not my home. And I said that to Peter, and he put that into into the lyrics and kissed. That was, I mean, in death, rather. It wasn't there, you know, to begin with. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I spoke to Bill <clears throat> recently. But there was an interview that Nick Campisi did, and I heard him actually say that, First of all, he said he was engaged to my my best friend, and he was not. And then he also said that Peter didn't write Beth, Paul Stanley did. And I, and I was so furious with him. I emailed him, and he ignored my email. So I, and I brought it up to Bill when he was here, the last time he was here. And he said, oh, no, no, no. If anybody changed any of the words, it was Bob Ezrin. But mm-hmm. it was very minimal. Because I, I know the song, and I, right. when, I, when they brought me into the studio and I heard it, I, they, they sat me at the, at the console, and they didn't, they didn't want me there while they were recording it, and I used to go to the studio all the time, but they just wanted to surprise me, and they, re, they, did, they did that without me knowing, with a little, you know, with an, you know the, I guess it was some sort of an orchestra, or, I guess it was an orchestra, I don't know, but it, yeah. You know, they had to have some sort of an orchestra, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I had no idea. They sat me on the on the stool. They put the headphones on me, and they said, now tell us what you think of it. 
And I said, unfortunately, it should have been called Lydia, but what can I say? <laughs> yeah, you already have a song written about you. Remember that one, Lydia the Tattooed Lady? Lydia, oh, Lydia. <laughs> yes, Groucho Marx. I'm a huge Marx Brothers fan. I have their box. Oh, oh okay. So then you should know which one it's on. Um, but then there's another Lydia that was from the like a, the doo-wop era. Mm-hmm. It was called. It was just the doo-wop song called Lydia, Olivia, just Lydia, Olivia, and they, you know, it's it's, it's not the same as the, the Marx Brothers. It's definitely right. a doo-wop song. Right. You know, that's um, you know, that, somebody else wrote a song for me too, but I don't remember how that even went. But it was called Lydia also. <laughs> Do you ever remember uh, being on the side of the stage watching Pete perform that, maybe with Bill? or? I was there all the time. Every time I went to the show, I was on the side of the stage. Um, Peter would come out, and he would bow to me. <laughs> and then he would go on his little stool and sing best. But he would, wow. never, he would never throw the roses to me. He says, you get enough. Let, let the fans get the roses. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being part of this uh show about Bill O'Coin and uh, sharing your memories and your time with us tonight. And uh, you are you are a uh, friend of the podcast, and anytime you want to be on the show or you want to promote anything, or just call up and say hi. We're, we're ready for you. Okay. Sounds right. good to me. And uh, All right. like I tell everyone, God bless and thank you for being part of this. Okay. Thank you for having me. We will be talking to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've got on the line with me a fan by the name of Chris, who's from New Jersey, but most of the people on the message boards know him as Rising Force. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Barry, how you doing? Pleasure to be here. Excellent having you on, and I wanted your feedback as a longtime fan on what the name Bill O'Coin means to you and why it's important that we commemorate his passing. Uh, where do you begin when talking about Bill? We're, we are all psychopaths who love a crazy band wearing makeup and high heels, and without Bill, who knows if we ever would have even had the chance to enjoy him. I mean, we, we've all heard the stories, him financing them on his credit card. All we can say to Bill is thank you for having the vision to bring to us what we all love. Well said. And is there a song from the original era of Kiss that kind of speaks to you in terms of, uh, you know, what that lineup meant and what that time meant and what Bill O'Coin meant? If I were to pick a song, I would go with Let Me Go Rock and Roll. I think that one pretty much is the epitome of the sound of where that band was at at that time. And it just doesn't get any better than that. Awesome, dude. Thanks. You got it, brother.
Neil Bogart had done one of my television shows, and I knew him pretty well, and I also knew he was leaving Buddha Records to start a new record company, soon to be called Casablanca. So Neil was looking for talent. I said I saw a unique band, a little over the top, wore makeup, but they were very persistent, very exciting, and I thought it could work. Neil said, well, do you have any tapes? I said, well, I'll get, I'll get you a demo and see what you think. Sure enough, they brought a demo to the office. The demo was done by Eddie Kramer. Very good demo. Had a lot of good songs, songs that all of you know, like Firehouse and Strutter and Black Diamond. Anyway, I brought it to, to Neil, and Neil gave it to a couple of his producers. The two producers at, at Buddha then were Kenny Kerner and Richie Wise, and they had recorded a number of hits for him at Buddha, and they were going to travel to L.A., to be part of the new record label, the new record label called Casablanca. Anyway, he brought it to them, and he said, look it, what do you think? If you like them, I think we'll sign this group. Well, both Richie and Kenny were rock and rollers and and loved the idea of recording a rock and roll band, even though they didn't know about the makeup and what crazies they were. Hi, this is Kenny Kerner, and you're listening to Podkiss.
like to welcome to the podcast Kenny Kerner, who co-produced Kiss's first and second albums. Kenny, welcome to podcast. Nice to be here, man. Great, and uh, kind of a sad occasion that we're having you on the show. Uh, of course, we're here to talk a little bit about Bill O'Coin, who passed away recently, and I know that um, you were involved, very much involved, with the very beginnings of Kiss and Kiss as we know it. And any reflections that you can share about Bill O'Coin uh, and when you first met him and what it was like to work with him would be much appreciated. Bill was a uh... A dear personal friend for the last, I don't know, 30, 35 years, um, well beyond his, you know, managing KISS. We were friends. We would listen to bands together. Um, almost always before he got involved with a brand new band, he would send me their info and I would kind of vet them for a day or two and get back to him with my opinion, sort of doing uh, A&R research for him. Uh, whenever he came to Los Angeles, he always stopped over at my house. We always got together. Uh, if he was too busy, he would still call me and tell me, I'm sorry, I can't make it. It was, um, you know, quite a shock. But, um, you know, he left uh, a tremendous uh, legacy, and uh, he was brilliant. Um, when I got into management, a lot of the um, ideals... Um, that I used were from him. Um, he was just a brilliant, brilliant personal manager who really gave a shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but uh, you're absolutely allowed to say that. <laughs> he really, he really did. He wasn't doing this for the money. He was doing this because he loved doing it. He loved working with people, and he was incredibly bright and out of the box. Uh, the more you told him. Uh, something couldn't be done, the more he relished shoving it in your face after he did it. I remember when all the people were saying, yeah, Kiss, what are you, crazy? Another gimmick band for Neil Bogart? It's never going to happen. And we stood there and we looked at each other and this smile, this sly little smile came on his face. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. Nice. He was saying, oh, yeah, you just watch me now. And he was just, uh, I have nothing but the fondest uh, of memories about Bill. And, you know, as, as always with someone you love and like being with, uh, it just came way too soon and way so suddenly. 
Kiss strike me as an unmanageable band, and, and they strike me as a band that's virtually unmanageable from day one, um, just because they're such they're four such uh, different personalities, and and um, which is not to say that they're difficult or prima donnas or what have you, but um, a tough act to manage, I imagine. Can, do you have any anecdotes or stories about sort of watching Bill in the process of managing Kiss? Well, they discussed everything. Um... You know, uh, they had their arguments. It was a relationship. Um, it's like a marriage. Uh, any relationship is built on open discussions about what each person agrees with and disagrees with. And they had those. And when he had to put his foot down, he did. And um, the thing that really played out uh, and got bigger and bigger as the years went by was Gene's business savvy. Right. Gene is an amazing businessman. Yeah, he went beyond being a performer and entertainer and put on his business cap and said, well, I may not like this as an entertainer. Is this what's best for me as a bit, you know, business-wise? And it sounds like Bill O'Coin helped cultivate that. He saw that as a strength, maybe, in, in Gene? The seed was always there. I remember riding on the subway with Gene uh, to the studio one day and I would say to him, Gene, what the hell are you on the D-train for? Why aren't you in a car driving yourself to the studio? You just signed this, you know, record deal. You got an advance. And he looked at me and he said, because I don't know how many records will be sold. Right. I'm not going to spend the money now <laughs> because I didn't make it yet. <laughs> and I said, wow, what an ass. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, he was absolutely right. Uh, you know, why spend money you don't have yet? So he took the subway and, you know, did what he had to do. Right. Any other memories in terms of working with those four guys on that album, and on both of those albums? Um, it was great. The second album was a little more troublesome because they did not like recording in Los Angeles. Um, they didn't drive at that time, so it was a major inconvenience. Uh, Paul's guitar was stolen from the Village Recorder, I think, the first day that we set up there. But uh, other than that, as musicians to work with in the studio, we didn't have a single problem. Nice. I mean, they, they were great. Well, I know that, um, you know, for me as a fan, I go back to those first two records, and it's, I mean, that's the core of it. If, if you want to know what Kiss is and what they sound like, that's what they sound like. That's what Kiss is. They did Dodger Stadium here a couple of years ago, and two-thirds of the show were the first two records. Absolutely. You know, and um, you're right. It's fundamental, basic KISS. This is KISS. And the songs still stand up. They're great songs when I took them out of a, a box and put the reel-to-reel -reel on my Wallensack tape recorder. Boy, I just dated myself, didn't I? <laughs> um, and listened to them, and I said, shit, these are great songs. They were real raw, real street, and, um, you know, when we did the first album, it was pretty much This Is Kiss, live uh, in the studio, and when we did the second album, we had to make some kind of musical progress right. that had to be translated into the production of it. So the second album is just a little slicker than the first album, but it was, it was still Kiss. Are there any songs that you can remember that didn't make it to either album? 
No, you know, and I shouldn't because if I remember them, they should have been on the album. <laughs> right. You know, um, a lot of people ask me that. Well, you must have 15, 20 songs. You know, we didn't we didn't work that way as producers. We understood that if you record 20 songs for the first album and you only record 10, the record label owns those other 10 songs that you did not record. Right. So why give the record company more songs to release after you leave them? You know, we did rehearsals instead where we had the bands play all of their songs at a rehearsal, then at the rehearsal for $10 an hour, pick the 10 or 12 songs that we were definitely going to record, rearrange them, and went into the studio fully prepared. So we cost the band as little money as possible Instead of doing all this in a $200 a day studio, I mean $200 an hour studio, we did it at SIR for 10 or $15 an hour. Right. I mean, let's be realistic. Recording an album is a boring, boring process. Right. I, I always laugh at people who used to say, Kenny, can I come down and you're recording, you know, Gladys or somebody? Can I come down and watch? And I go, dude, you're going to be asleep. It's boring. <laughs> right. No, no, no. I've, I've never seen this before. It's going to be great. You know, 20 minutes into the session, they're snoring on the front couch. Right, right. You know, how many times could you listen to, okay, that's great, let's try it again, you know. After the 40th time, they're asleep. Your sense of, of Kiss from recording them, were they a band that um, that tired of multiple takes, or were they kind of willing to do that, willing to roll with the recording process? They didn't give us any trouble at all. The only time we ran into any snag at all it was when Neil Bogart decided he wanted to put Kissing Time on the first album. That was going to be my next question. This was, you know, this was a major fight. The concept of Neil signing Kiss originally was for him as a new label, meaning Casablanca, right. to have some real credibility. His whole career as a record company president was peppered with one-hit wonders and bubblegum songs. He, through Warner Brothers, wanted to have a real legitimate shot at a rock and roll band or a rock band. So he signs Kiss. Way to go, Neil. But then you don't take a song like Kissin' Time, and, and you, you know what I mean, which was a definite novelty song, and say, well, I'm going to have a a national kissing contest, you know, and completely, you know, go against the original reason for signing the band. Right, and then Gene, gonna... then Gene winds up on TV with Toadie Fields, and it, it sort of, uh, I mean, it was a fun appearance, and, and certainly in hindsight it's really enjoyable to watch, but it kind of um, degrades, or I don't know, denigrates the whole idea of having kind of this legitimate rock band. Well, we sat in the studio, and we everybody fought it, and how do you fight the president who signs your paycheck and releases your records? You right. lose. Right. So we all sat in the studio and we brought the single in, the Bobby Rydell record, and we just cha we sat there literally and rewrote the song. We would just go, okay, what do you want? Oh, kissing in, kissing, oh, kissing in Detroit, Detroit, because it's a rock. Okay, put in Detroit, you know. Right. Uh, put in uh, L. A. Well, kissing in L. A. Yeah, and we picked all the rock cities with literally were just shouting out lyrics for the rewrite of the song. When I bought it on cassette, 
you know, back in the day, I, I, I didn't know the story. I didn't even know that it wasn't a Kiss song. I just thought it was such a great uh, track. And, and, and it, you know, what you did was you did transform it from bubblegum into something that legitimately did rock. And, uh, yeah. you know, kudos to, to all, of, all people involved because it, it really is a good song. Uh, it's a good recording. No, I I agree with that part, but yeah. I mean, that was not his intent for for signing the band originally. You know, you can't say I'm going to get credibility with a rock band, then have a kissing a kissing contest, and I'll tell you why it backfired because the band got so little press out of the kissing contest. The band was not there. They the news covered the contest. Right. 400 people lined up on the steps of St. Judas this morning. They've been kissing for 18 hours. Now we go to our field reporter, John Maynard. John, fill us in. You know, and you'd see the 400 people kissing. The band wouldn't be anywhere around. Yeah, it's unfortunate because that was the whole point of it, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, you know, it was useless, it was futile, and it was unnecessary, and it was totally counterproductive. But, you know, that was Neil. Right. And Bill Coin was, was against it, I suppose. Everyone was against it. Right. Did you know from the start that Kiss were the, the makeup band? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course I knew. When I took out their demo, there was a picture. Really? Yeah, there was a picture and a, and a reel-to-reel tape. And wow. the picture was them in makeup and kind of like, uh, I guess you could buy them back east then. We had John's Bargain Stores. Right. Uh, the equivalent of Target or whatever. And you could buy, they were all wearing like $5 black turtleneck shirts and the facial makeup, which I'm guessing was just cheap, you know, uh, entertainer paint. It wasn't the really sophisticated, you know, expensive stuff. They did, they got the image across. I looked at the picture and I said, man, I get it. This is great. Nice. You know, and then when I put the tape on, I said, shit, this is going to work. This is great stuff. And it seems like it seems like you know Bill O'Coin never um, took it as a joke. It was always that he 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 understood what it was about. Like you understood right away from looking and hearing. It seems from as a fan, as an outsider, that Bill O'Coin always did get it. Oh, from 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 the word go, he got it instantly. I mean, I think that's why it worked. Right. You know, Richie Richie and I got it. Right. Bill got it. I think the only one who looked at it as a joke was Neil. Right. To him, this was not something that could be really dark and really cultish. This was just another gimmick to him, like so many hundreds of other gimmicks that he worked on. For fans who are newer fans, right? if you could sort of tell them why Bill O'Coin was such an important person to the music that they're enjoying, what would you say? Bill was not only important but crucial to their success uh, i don't think any other manager would have had the impact he had he was important because he was bright he wasn't afraid to take chances he had the right personality to be a manager and most important he loved the music and the band in order to be an effective manager you have to be an incredible salesperson. Right. You have to know how to sell that band and that music to publishers, to record companies, to arena bookers, to major booking agents, to merchandising companies. He was a great salesman, 
and he, coming from theater, coming from Direction Plus, which was his company where he directed uh, music videos, he had a great feeling for theater. Right. So he was even instrumental in helping them set up, helping choreograph them, helping them stage the whole show. And when somebody said to him, uh, we, um, we want the riser to go 10 feet up in the air and out into the audience, while everybody laughed, he was on the phone with hydraulics companies trying to make it happen. Right. Right. You know, that was the difference. He really... Let me tell you a quick Bill O'Coin story. Please. We were on the road with the Sean Cassidy band. Bill and I managed a band called Virgin, which was the opening act on a 44-city Sean Cassidy tour when he was hot as hell. Right. And we, I forgot what city we were in, but we were in the hotel room and we realized... The group had no towels when they came off the stage, you know, to dry off in or to wipe themselves, you know, after the show. And the roadies were going crazy, driving the equipment to the venue. I was with the band. And one of the guys said, shit, we have no towels. What are we going to do? And Bill was standing there in his three-piece, thousand-dollar suit <laughs> in a strange city. And he goes... Stay here, I'll go shopping, I'll bring back towels, I'll be back in a half hour. Nice. And he got left the hotel, walked a couple blocks, went to a department store, and brought back four matching bath towels that were coordinated with their outfits. You know, and I'm standing there going, what the fuck is he doing this for? He's the manager. Right. And I realized... That because he was the manager, he did that. Right. He didn't see? see it as a joke, and he didn't see it as rock and roll excess. He was. And he didn't say, "Oh, geez, uh, use paper towels. We don't have." He did it. Right. You know, good enough was never good enough for him. Wow. And that's the difference. Wow. As a fan, that comes across. I mean, I've never. You know, especially going back to the you know to the early days of Kiss, I never pick up a record or um, you know look at the artwork or or the packaging or anything, and or even vintage concerts when I watch them on 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 television. I, I never look at that and say it's just good enough. It always is fantastic. We did we did a uh, a live show for I think the, the TV show was in concert. Mm -hmm. uh, Don Kirshner's in concert, I think it was. And we got there, the guy set up and ran through the sound check, and then we're talking to the director, and we said, so, you're a fan of the band? And he goes, well, we've never really seen the band before. <laughs> and so Bill and I looked at each other, and Bill said, okay, I'm going to be out here with the cameras, you go in the booth. Wow. I went in the booth, we both knew the songs, we called the camera shots, we called everything, you know, you know what I'm saying? There, this, there, there wasn't anything that he wouldn't do right. to to make that band happen. And, and he it, was so versatile in so many different areas. And and it really seems, in the, you know, since his passing, that the outpouring has been unanimous. I mean, you know, Kiss Kiss can sometimes be a, a contentious group on the inside, but everybody is just pouring out the love for Bill Coin. Yeah.
It's well, nice he deserved it. I mean, he deserved it. And, you know, it's not just everybody says kiss, kiss, kiss. The, the man managed uh, Billy Idol. Right. You know, when Billy left Generation X, nobody, nobody wanted to handle him. Right. Everybody said, Bill, you, you're fucking crazy. The guy can't sing. He's got this growl. They can't understand what the hell he's saying. And Bill looked at them and said, this guy is a star. You watch. And he was right. And sure enough, you know, white wedding, dancing with us. I mean, just one after another. Right. You know, he just knows. Now, hopefully by listening to this interview, people will get a sense of how important Bill O'Coin was, not just, as you said, not just to Kiss, but to pop music and rock music in general. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if right now he's up in heaven putting together a supergroup with some of the major artists that passed on years ago. Hopefully we'll be in the audience someday. <laughs> Hopefully so. Have you kept in touch with KISS? Are you still a part of the KISS, uh, you know, the KISS world? And I occasionally run into Gene and Paul. Uh, email back and forth occasionally from Peter. I don't hang out with them. Right. Because none of us really hangs out. Right. But I occasionally speak to Gene. Paul, I once in a while run into in a supermarket and... Paul is so fucking cool, man. You know, I, if I run into him, it's like 30 years ago. Hey, man, what's up? What's what you buying? Hamburger helper? Dude, you shouldn't eat that shit. You know, and right. we, we talk to each other like regular people. Nice. Gene is like very premeditated. Right. You know, even after 35 years, if I saw him, he'd go, Kenny, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Gene? And there'd be a pause. Well, I'm making <laughs> a lot of money, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> He's very premeditated, right, um, right. but brilliant. Yeah, They've got a formula, and they're sticking to it, you know? Uh, it works. That's what uh, people want to hear. Uh, with KISS, I have to say it's, you know, 25% the music and 75% the most incredible live show you could ever imagine. You know, uh, I don't think they're doing KISS for the money at this point. Right. They're doing it because they love it, and it's, you know, it's the monster they created. And it's and it's still bringing people to the shows, you know. I, I, I oh, saw absolutely. Them, yeah, I saw them twice in 2009, and, and once again, it was a lot of stuff from the two records that you recorded. Yeah, it'll always be that way. It'll always be that way. For, for youngsters... Seeing them for the first time, it's a chance to marvel at the most amazing live show ever. And for people your age and my age, it's a chance to reminisce with some of the greatest rock and roll songs and also see a brand new incredible live show. Well said. Well, thank you for joining us to talk about Bill Coin, to talk about Kiss, and, and to talk about you know the legacy that, that remains even after Bill is, is gone. Are there any projects that you're working on in particular that, that you might like to uh, tell people about that they should keep an, an eye and ear open for? No, not right now. I'm I, uh, basically just looking out for new talent, and I'm at a stage now where I don't have to manage anybody or do right. anything, uh, fortunately. So something's going to have to knock me on my ass for me to get involved. Well, I play kazoo. Fuck you. <laughs> but I mean that nicely. Well, I, I took it nicely. Uh, <laughs> Good. Well, it would be great to have you on the show anytime. And um, 
you know, it, it's just such an honor to talk to you. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. These records mean so much to me and they mean so much to everyone who listens to this show. And I, I have been in the studio and I have sat for hours and fallen asleep and, and watched mm -hmm. the process and been on both sides of it myself. And I don't take any of it for granted and nor should our listeners. So thank you for being such an instrumental part of, of the history of this band that we love. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. And you have my word that anytime you call, I would be more than happy to be on the show again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.